Welcome to Archaeology in 30, a podcast produced by the Florida Public Archaeology Network. I'm your host, Mike Tillman, and on this podcast, we'll chat with Marie Prentice, a senior archaeologist for the Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research based in Tallahassee. We'll talk to Marie about the role the Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research plays within the Division of Historical Resources, what happens to artifacts after they are excavated, and how the state collection is used by museums and researchers. We'll also discuss some misconceptions people have about artifact collections held in public trust and some of the really cool museums you can visit to see some of Florida's unique archaeological material from the state collection. Joining us now from Tallahassee, Florida is Marie Prentice, the senior archaeologist with the Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research, Collections, and Conservation. Thanks for being on, Marie. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And so... Uh, 2016 is a really important year. Um, it's the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service, and it's also the 50th anniversary of the National Historic Preservation Act. Um, a couple weeks back, I was on the uh, Southeastern Arche- or Southeast Archaeological Center's Facebook page, and there was this uh, series of photographs that they had posted to celebrate 50 years of, archaeologists, uh, of archaeology in the National Park's Southeast region. And one of these photos is actually of you. Can you tell me about this photograph? That photograph was taken at Andersonville. It was a Civil War prison site, infamous Civil War prison site. Uh, I worked on a couple of projects there. We were locating the, the North Gate as well as the Southwest Corner so that the park could reconstruct those, uh, which they have since done. That was many more years ago than I care to recall. <laughs> But the, the, one of the gentlemen in the photographs at the time was my boyfriend. He's now my husband of almost 27 years, and uh, he works at SEAC. Uh, well, that's, that's great. And you guys just had an anniversary not too long ago, right? A wedding anniversary? Or are you talking about a SEAC anniversary? No, yeah, so many anniversaries, with, Mike. <laughs> with, your, with your husband, and he's, yes. he's the one right next to you in the photograph. That is correct. That's, yes. that's great. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. And so, um, but now you work with the Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research in Tallahassee. Can you tell me what is uh, the Bureau of Archaeological Research and why does it exist? The Bureau exists. Mary, I'm sure, could answer this better, but I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at it. Uh, and, and Mary Gulaki is the uh, state archaeologist that's, that's with you uh, in the collections uh, facility right now. That is correct, yes. We exist to protect cultural resources on state-owned lands and state-submerged lands. We consist of uh, the sections of public lands archaeology, collections and conservation, and our underwater section. And of course, it's also the office of the state archaeologist. And now, where are you all located at, these, these different um, offices? I know you're in Tallahassee, but where, where exactly? We are actually spread out in, unfortunately, at the moment, in three different buildings. Uh, the, the public lands folks in the underwater section in Mary are all located at the Martin House, which is the site of uh, Hernando de Soto's winter encampment of 1539. We are also located on the grounds of Mission San Luis, which is where I am and where the state's archaeological collections are curated. And our conservation lab is in the R.A. Gray building in downtown Tallahassee. And now you, you mentioned that you exist to protect Florida's cultural material. Um, what, you know, as, as facilities, I know you guys do conservations and, and there's a Florida uh, 
history museum and also in Tallahassee where a lot of this stuff goes on display at. But what what is actually out there in terms of um, in terms of a legal sense uh, that actually protects archaeological material on state land? Florida Statute 267 is what what we go by, and it directs what we do. It I, I have a little quote here that I took directly out uh, to answer your question. It exists to locate, acquire, protect, preserve, operate, interpret, and promote the location, acquisition, and foster an appreciation of Florida history and culture. I'm not sure I got that quite 100% right. But basically, it, it guides us. We're, you were talking earlier about the 50th anniversary of the Historic Preservation Act. And our, our division of historical resources began back in the 1960s when this Historic Preservation Act was passed. It was also when uh, the position of state archaeologist was created. People were realizing uh, that significant cultural resources were being destroyed by development and, and other methods. And it was uh, became important to create these laws to create uh, to protect these resources, these non-renewable resources. And in particular, as I mentioned, we focus on, um, on state-owned lands and submerged lands. We do not uh, have any authority over private lands, but we can offer consultation on artifact identification and at times, we do take donations as well. And and you guys do have a web web resource, correct? Where there's a lot of different information that people can get um, as well. Absolutely, our our website, Florida Division of Historical Resources. If you Google that, you will find um, all of the the services that we provide. And if you click on archaeology, you will see all the uh, the things that the Bureau of Archaeological Research is responsible for in, in ways that we can help. Yeah, and definitely with with the pod, wherever this podcast is living out on SoundCloud and iTunes, I'll post that link on there so people can just go ahead and click that link and uh, Thank go you to that much, website. Because the exact URL escapes me at the moment. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. We've we've gotten easier with our URL over the years, uh, but it's always nice to just have a link right to it. And so you talked about um, the laws that protect archaeological material, cultural material, and state lands, and 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 you know that coming out of all the destruction that happened with uh, private development, but also um, with you know, building uh, interstates and highways, things like that. And so much material was lost uh, over the decades that these projects, public projects, uh, took place. But since that time, of course, we have these laws um, that require uh, archaeology to be incorporated into any of these projects that get federal funding. Um, and there's been so many amazing sites that have really come out of this and, and so much that archaeologists have learned and shared with the public because of this law. Um, but a lot of people don't really understand. Um, they, I mean, you know, they kind of have an idea of what archaeology is, you know, you know, digging uh, for, for some people think dinosaurs, dinosaur bones. Um, okay. half, half our battle is is sometimes trying to explain that that's not what archaeology is. But right. um, but the past remains that humans have left behind, um, but they don't understand necessarily what happens after archaeologists find these artifacts. Can you tell me what, what happens to artifacts after they're excavated from an archaeological site? Well, that's an excellent question. Our folks have procedures that they follow, and we also uh, issue permits to 
institutions and cultural resource management companies uh, when work needs to be formed on public lands. And we have very specific guidelines on how they need to handle the artifacts, uh, tips on conservation, and they are eventually turned in to us here in collections where they are carefully cataloged and added to a very extensive database that we have. And once they come here, we kind of separate them depending on which things need to be conserved and need to go to the conservation lab, which things we think might be of interest for exhibit and other things that might be of interest to researchers. And we curate them. It's, you know, a little time in the hands of the archaeologists and forever in collections. So we do kind of um, like to give them some guidelines on uh, how to prepare the things to turn into us. Once they're here, and I think you might be getting, I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead because I think you're going to be asking me about this later. As I mentioned, that database, it makes what we have here is very easy to track, makes our uh, collection very accessible. So it's like a library. If you have a library, you know, books and a catalog where it's easy to, you know, you just look up the, the catalog number and then it's, you know, in a specific spot and you can find it. And that is exactly right. And I'm very glad you brought up that analogy because I tell people that all the time. Um, we have people that, that access our collections that are experts in their fields that know far more about archaeology than I do. Uh, but I can help them find what it is they're looking for. Uh, yes, and it's all it's all based on that catalog number that we assign when those artifacts come to us. It's a way to track it, track what it is, where it came from, and where it was physically located within our facility. So do you have any idea of how many artifacts are uh, currently in the state collection? We have over half a million artifacts that we are currently curating. Wow. wow. And what types of things? I mean, what types of, and a lot of people... Definitely, certainly tourists, you know, they when they think of Florida, it's like, you know, nothing existed here before Disneyland. Um, but of course, that's that's not true. So can you can you uh, give us a kind of a, a brief idea of what sorts of things um, are in the collection and how old? We we tend to use a cutoff of 50 years that can vary depending on the site, uh, all the way up to artifacts that are over 12,000 years old. And when you're talking about uh, the early prehistory of Florida, preservation-wise, you're typically not going to find organic matter. Uh, highly unusual to find organic matter that's you know thousands and thousands of years old. But we do have a lot of stone tools. We have shell tools, um, indicative of those people, and they also uh, work animal bone into tools. And then all the, the garbage left behind from the creation of those tools, uh, what we call debitage. And then as you move through history, uh, we have artifacts from DeSoto's winter encampment. So we have elements of chain mail. And this is a Spanish pottery. We have artifacts from uh, many different shipwrecks, uh, especially some of the Spanish plate fleet shipwrecks. Uh, so any kind of artifact from a ship. Uh, including the, uh, the items that they were mining in South America and Central America and sending over to Spain, including precious metal artifacts and artifacts representing everyday life, on up until artifacts from Marjorie Kindling uh, Homestead in the Gainesville area, and everything in between. Yeah, it's it's. I've been to the collection facility a few different times. In fact, I first met you when I worked for the uh, city of Fort Walton Beach working on an exhibit. 
and I was so amazed on um, on just the, the the care of the collection and the, the these different varieties of different things in the collection. It was and and how how helpful uh, this you and and, your, and the staff working there uh, was because I was you know just you know I wasn't involved in archaeology at all at the time. I was just a muse, you know some small museum coming in hoping to get something and uh and which brings me to the next question i have is first of all before you move on i would just like to say thank you very much and uh and working with museums such as the one you were working at at the time is, is one of the favorite parts of my job and you were very easy to work with so not everybody that we that we do work with is as easy to work with as you are and you came in very knowledgeable and uh having a very specific idea of what it was that you wanted so that made it very helpful well, thanks so much. And in fact, I, at the time, I, I brought uh, a, a friend of mine who's now my wife, and uh, she she's not really into history. And, and she, she uh, after two, two or three hours, I think she got pretty bored. But she said the one thing I kept saying over and over again was, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> like every, every, every shelf that I saw, I was just, I was just blown away. Uh, but that does bring me to the to the next question I had for you. You, you wrote a, um, a blog post that we posted on the FPAN statewide blog. Uh, not too long ago about about the state collections. And um, one thing you brought up was the misconceptions that people um, have about the state collections. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, that's it's kind of an ongoing battle. Some folks out there that they they have this mental picture of the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark where the the coveted artifact gets put in a box on a shelf and the door gets slammed, and nobody will ever see it again. And that is uh, very far from the reality of what we have here at VAR Collections. We have a very active loan program. Our artifacts, as you mentioned, uh, with Fort Walton and, and the Museum of Florida History, our artifacts are on exhibit all across the state of Florida and outside the state of Florida as well, including uh, I'm working on a loan right now with the folks at Children's Museum in Indianapolis, which has over a million visitors a year. So um, it's very far from the truth that, that artifacts come here and are never seen again. Uh, even though we're not a museum that's regularly open to the public, although we do occasionally provide tours, uh, our artifacts are very accessible to researchers and to museum curators wishing to create exhibits with them. Yeah, and in fact, several of our um our exhibit in our headquarters in Pensacola, the Destination Archaeology Resource Center, uh, most of our artifacts on display are actually on loan from you all at, for the Bureau of Archaeological Research. Um, and, and so I think you're totally right on that is there's this idea of, um, you know, especially among, you know, the kind of collector community that, you know, the archaeologists dig this stuff up and then it gets put on shelves and collects dust and no one ever sees it again. And that like you said, that's that couldn't be further from the from the truth. Uh, well, and, and one of the things when you're talking about that, one of the interesting things that numismatists love about our collection is that the a lot of the artifacts from the Spanish plate fleet wrecks that I mentioned they have stayed together rather than the, the state gets twenty percent of those artifacts. And um, the, the and numismatists are are uh, people who study coinage. Yes, I'm sorry, coin collectors. Yes. Uh, and, and other artifacts from the shipwrecks are the state's collection has remained intact, although, of course, you know, many of them are on exhibit at museums. Many of them are here in collections as well and accessible to those researchers. So it, it uh, creates a, a great 
collection that otherwise would be spread out, you know, as items have been sold, uh, the other 80% of the artifacts um, were sold uh, or whatever. I mean, some of them are an exhibit, but um, the art collection is very unique in that, especially the earlier uh, artifacts that came in from those uh, permits were randomly selected. There were so many coins that they weren't sorting them one by one. So we have a very unique random selection of coins from um, these 17, 15 uh, Spanish plate feedbacks. And and it's so important to keep those collections together. Um, and that's what's, I think, at least personally, I, I think that's another great thing about um, the this stuff being in public trust is that it's not going to be sold. Uh, it's, it's not going to be thrown out. You know, I can't tell you how many times working for um, a smaller museum that, that, you know, 40% of that collection was, was actually privately owned. Um, and, and then long ter- had, you know, long-term um, uh, loans, of course, there's no such thing as a long-term loan. Um, a, a lot of times uh, I, I would, you know, witness a couple of different times, in fact, where, where a person who had a large collection within that museum, um, they would pass away and then the family would find a, out about this collection. And even though that that family member who had that collection that passed away would wanted it to stay on um, display indefinitely, a lot of times that didn't happen after they passed away. And, and then, the, you know, who knows what happened to the collection um, once once they took possession of it again. So right. um, it's so important to, to have something like a state collection where we know that, you know, we know that the stuff is going to stay together. Well, and, and the important thing about that is that the artifacts that we manage here belong to the people of the state of Florida. Um, they belong to everyone. And while we manage them and, and make sure they stay safe, uh, they we never forget that they do belong to the people of the state of Florida. And that is why we strive to make them as accessible as possible. Absolutely. And that, that brings me up to one of my final questions I had for you um, in discussing, you know, keeping uh, collections together and, and catalog, you mentioned before. So in, in general, um, what are some of the issues uh, collection managers and staff face in terms of care of these items? You know, I know you said you had um, you know, over half a million artifacts and, you know, you have all this process, but it's like you said, it's a long-term care. So what are some of the issues um, that, 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 in that, requires you to kind of always have to stay on top of? Well, one of the the first thing that any collections manager would tell you is that space is always at a premium. It's very rare that a collection gets smaller, particularly as in our case, um, even artifacts that we are curating. uh, For example, in your neck of the woods at University of West Florida, we still uh, manage those and keep tabs on all that. Uh, so space is is really our number one concern, and the legislature was kind enough to uh, award us some money to look into exploring to expand our facility. And a, a few years ago, we were able to uh, install compact shelving, which uh, tremendously expanded our uh, ability to store artifact boxes. So, so with what we do with the shipwrecks and everything, we have a lot of very large items, and they, they can always prove challenging to curate those. We, we try as best we can to get cannons and anchors and large things like that out on exhibit where people can see them. And also, so, um, you know, it makes our job easier of, of uh, curating these objects. 
uh, and also um, maintaining the database is, is the absolute crucial factor in managing a collection. We have to uh, keep on top of what we have and, and where it is as we were talking, um, and also making sure that we're keeping up um, with the conservation of these items. Every time I, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I manage our, our loan program, and I touch base every time these loans come up for renewal to make sure that these artifacts aren't in need of conservation. And if they are, then we arrange to get them back and, and retreat them and, uh, and then get them back on exhibit as quickly as we can. Yeah, and, and the training that goes into conserving artifacts is not something that you, you can just, you know, read about on, you know, Google and find out a little bit about and then uh, be successful at it. It really takes uh, a lot of skill and training. Uh, an experience, and I, you know, one of the images that we often use in our in our presentations um, to show kind of what can happen to an artifact if it's not properly conserved is, you know, down in the keys with anchors that have just been pulled out of the water and you know put on the side of the road somewhere and and never really put through treatment, never really cared for, and now they're just pretty much disintegrating. Um, so, you know, that's that's an issue that I think. People don't always think about when um, when you, when when we're talking about you know artifacts in general from these sites. Yes, and we are very fortunate to have a very competent conservator, Jessica Sticka, uh, came to us from uh, Texas A and M, which has a great conservation program. And in fact, I would recommend that you might want to interview her. Uh, that that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but you bring up an excellent point that that happens all the time. Uh, and the first thing Jessica would tell you is if it's wet, keep it wet. If it's dry, keep it dry. And when they're pulling these anchors, which, you know, uh, by the way, is illegal for them to do that because those are uh, all submerged lands, uh, navigable submerged lands in the state of Florida. Uh, those artifacts are protected for a lot. A lot of it is for that very reason that uh, not only are archaeological sites uh, potentially destroyed by removing artifacts from them incorrectly, but the artifact itself is, is not going to last if you pull it out of a saltwater environment uh, and don't get proper treatment for it. Well, Marie, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you, Mike. A pleasure talking to you, too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Archaeology in 30. For more information about the Florida Division of Historical Resources and the state collection they maintain, visit their website found in the links of this podcast. And remember, Florida's archaeological resources belong to us all, so take only photos and leave only footprints, or bubbles if you're underwater. Take care. Have you ever wondered what happens to all the artifacts archaeologists unearth in Florida? I'm Dr. Judy Benz, and this is Unearthing Florida. The State of Florida's Bureau of Archaeological Research in Tallahassee has a wonderful conservation lab and collections facility. This is where the artifacts found on public property go to be preserved and protected. The facility has hundreds of thousands of artifacts, most recovered from state-owned or public-managed land and water. The collections are all significant to Florida's past and include objects that date back to some of the oldest cultures in Florida some 12,000 years ago. For example, there's a rare spear thrower made by an ancient Native American out of mammoth bone. A more recent item is a 1950s Coke bottle from the homestead of famous author Marjorie Rawlings. 
Not only does the Bureau of Archaeological Research store and protect these wonderful artifacts, it makes them available for researchers to study and for visitors to enjoy at the Museum of Florida History and at museums across the state. Dr. Judy Bentz is founder of the Florida Public Archaeology Network. Unearthing Florida is produced in partnership with WUWF Public Media. More information at unearthingflorida.org.